politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots, to the one and only Conservative Review podcast, your only source of truly independent conservative news and views, advocacy, and vision here at Blaze Media. So, folks, it is September 2nd, in addition to being my mother's birthday. It was also the day when the Emperor of Japan surrendered to General Douglas MacArthur on board the ship in the Pacific. That was a time when America was truly great. Oh boy, how much we would love to go back to those times. Trump promised to make America great again. He's blissfully promising to keep America great in a second term. Is America really great now? Folks, we are so far off of greatness, I don't even long for it. I don't even I don't even dream of it. I would take normalcy. Making America normal again. I think that really needs to be the message of Trump and he needs to follow through with that. A return to normalcy. It's pretty ironic that it was exactly 100 years ago when they were coming off of a real epidemic that was exponentially worse than this as well as World War I when the Republican nominee for president I believe it was a May 14th speech, May 14th, uh, 1920, when Warren Harding, and look, he had his flaws. He's obviously associated with the Teapot Dome scandal, but he did have a lot of um, leadership qualities about him that are underrated, in my view at least. I know it's not a very popular view. But he talked about the need for the world. The world needs to be reminded that all human ills are not curable by legislation, and that quantity of statutory enactment and excess of government offer no substitute for quality of citizenship. And when he mentioned the word normalcy, it was kind of a controversy back then because people were make, trying to make fun of him that the word is normal T, not normal C, and he was like, no, that's the word in the dictionary, uh, in Webster's dictionary for over 100 years. But... He said, quote, by normalcy, I do not mean the old order, but a regular steady order of things. I mean normal procedure, the natural way without excess. I don't believe the old order can or should come back, but we must have normal order. Or as I have said, normalcy. I think so many of you, whether you're older than me, or surprisingly, we have a lot of younger listeners that email me a lot, that perhaps never lived in a time of pure normalcy. Before we had this excess of technological debauchery on our souls, where people could think independently without just instant mass group think. I think so many people deep down pine for a time where family life was normal, intact families, Family values were the norm. Where a man was a man and acted like a man and was treated like a man. And a woman was a woman who acted like a woman and was treated like a woman. Where a criminal was understood to be a criminal and a victim was understood to be a victim. Right and wrong were clear. Fundamental rights 
versus debauchery or privileges was fully demarcated in our legal system and our culture. We pine for a time like that. Why can't we have that again? At least in, in parts of the country. Even if we'll write off others. You know, we talked about earlier this week, this individual, Jose Reyes, who was caught on camera on a New York subway. He beat a woman to the ground and then was on top of her trying to rape her. Broad daylight. Um, I don't know if it was upper west side of, of Manhattan, but I mean, you know, this I, I don't think it was Harlem. And a bunch of people gather around and say, yell, get off her, but no one actually comes close to assist her. And he kind of slowly backs away. He's caught because of facial technology. He admits to doing it. And despite having 14 prior arrests, including recent ones, things like assaulting a police officer, he was only given 70,000 bond, which usually means you only have to post 10%. And I warned that he was going to get out. Well, according to my sources, he indeed was released yesterday. Is this the new normal that we're going to put up with as citizens? Or are we going to return to normalcy? There are certain... See, to, to begin with, I never understood the whole business of so many rapists getting no time. I never understood that. To me, in a case like this, now I understand it was attempted rape. And that's why in the minds of the of, of the judges and whatever dirtbag judge that was, they don't think that's a big deal. Well, you know, didn't ultimately kill her, didn't ultimately rape her. But what they don't look at is that the deterrent and the past record. But in general... We are not tough enough on, uh, enough on rape. I've always believed that when you have a clear-cut rape, the equivalent of a clear-cut murder, where you know someone just grabs someone out of nowhere and 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 uh, and, and and forces themselves on a woman, I believe in the death penalty. I think a lot of you do too, as well. You know that is something that may God have mercy on your soul, and that's it. But here we are. I'm sure he'll get nothing. But now he's released. We have a situation in Portland, Oregon, where um, Clackamas County Sheriff Craig Roberts said, the same offenders are arrested night after night only to be released by the court and not charged with a crime by the DA's office. The next night they are back at it endangering the lives of law enforcement and the community all over again. You know, because he was talking about the governor's initiative calling on other sheriffs to get involved in Portland, and they're, they're like, we're not sacrificing our guys when we catch the people and they'll be let loose. I think we would just pine for a simple return to normalcy. That's all I'll take. I don't need greatness at this point. What about being normal? incarceration rate for blacks is down to 1990 levels. Some might celebrate that, 
But those are black offenders. What about black victims of crime? I pine for a time when our system used to take into account the feelings of the victim. That's what it was. You know, I'm just in my 30s. I grew up in the 90s. We thought that was a pretty debauched era. But boy, that looks like a godly time compared to what we're living in today. And that's what it was. I mean, could you imagine this woman in New York? Even before the guy was let out, just what that does to a person, you know, their ability to walk freely without fear. And then now the guy's let out. Guess what? According to the laws of Sodom and Gomorrah, he's now going to have access through his lawyer to the contact information. So, you know, let's say you you take, you know, so, someone just grabs a woman off the street, attempts to rape her, or actually rapes her. Um, and assuming it's, it's, you know, often rapes are people they know, but in this scenario, clearly he didn't know the woman. So he has no idea where she lives, who she is. That information is given over immediately now. Oh, and he's let out. What do you think he's going to do? What's the likelihood she's going to testify against him? This is what prosecutors tell me is the biggest problem. It's always been a problem, but now it's increasingly a problem. See, the the, the plot to let people go pre-trial, no matter how bad they are, no matter the preponderance of evidence they're caught on camera, in this case, no matter their prior record, it's not just a matter of ensuring that they don't stay in jail for the meantime, but it ensures that they don't get convicted and sentenced to prison later on because guess what? With them on the loose, witnesses and victims aren't going to want to testify. And we've seen this already in New York since they passed this law. There's been MS-13 murders of witnesses undoubtedly given that information through their sleazy lawyers. I pine for a return to normalcy. You know, yesterday a governor called me and asked for my advice on anti-mob legislation and ideas in a state level. And I'm thinking, I don't know, I mean, I'm, I'm forgetting offhand, there's maybe 27 Republican governors or something like that. There should be 27 governors focused on that agenda. I mean, obviously 50, but I'll, I'll, I'll take just Republicans Where's this return to normalcy? Return to bedrock values. And then obviously, we have the juxtaposition that at the same time that criminals are being treated like saints. We are beaten down. You saw yesterday in New Jersey, you had the law, uh, Governor Murphy signed a law that anyone who's caught with a false 911 call, uh, you know, accusing a black of a crime, that's a criminal charge. Now, mind you, there is no such thing. You'd say, okay, you know, if you falsify anything against anyone, that should be a criminal charge, assuming you believe in that. How is that equal protection? Well, it's not. Because we live in an era of Jim Crow. This is the this is the reality. This is the new normal 
if we don't promise a return to normalcy and make America normal again. This is where we're headed. And mind you, I'm sure the definition of a false call is going to be very loose. Because after all, to them, there is no crime. Oh, except if you don't wear a mask. Meanwhile, New Jersey, they green-lighted illegal aliens to have occupational licenses. Notice how blue states could thwart federal law over and over and get away with it. But we can't have red states merely uphold the law. Well, the answer is very simple. Because the left has a political party that's called the Democrat Party. Sane, normal Americans do not have a political party representing them. Therein lies the gap between the so-called red states and blue states. One of the things I'm sick of hearing throughout this thing is all these ads, all these people, you know, Steve Scalise ran something on this. This is what America is going to look like if Joe Biden is president. Folks, this is what America looks like right here, right now. Okay, right here, right now, while Trump is president. So I want to talk a little bit, a little briefly about what this man needs to do. I have an article out today explaining this. There, there's this misnomer that somehow, like, oh, you know, it's a state issue, it's crime, there's nothing the president can do, or you can't just grab people off the street, there's rights, you know, we don't have rights, you know, you, you could, you know, make us wear a face burka, shut us down, destroy us, destroy us child abuse with the kids in school. I mean, that that you can do, but you can't go after, after uh, insurrection and rebellion. Folks, the Constitution and statute were written to give the president authority to stop this. When you have roving mobs chanting death to America, burning down Kenosha to the point where it is it almost looks like Beirut after that explosion. This is not about crime anymore. Crime is a big issue, and it's, it's connected to this. So the president, even when he sends in federal officials, it's very defensive and very targeted. So in Portland, it was like just to defend the building, and then they like have terrible rules of engagement, and like, like the agents get blinded with lasers. Like, How does it even come to that? Hunt them down and grab them. Oh, Daniel, you can't do that. You could just protect federal... No! It's an insurrection, and let me explain the history behind that. It's in the Constitution. And then the other program he has to send, like, extra, you know, investigators. So I understand that. If you want to help with high-crime areas, you're just sending investigators. You're not grabbing them for regular crimes. But when you have organized insurrection and mass violence that states cannot handle, that is why we have the federal government as a backstop. It was literally when they cannot preserve order and protect the basic liberties and safety of a group of people or all people, or they're unwilling to do so, which was the case in the Civil War era, you know, with the roving, you know, KKK attacks on the blacks, on, on freed slaves, that was the role of the federal government to step in. That was the enforcement legislation of the 14th Amendment's equal protection and 
privileges and immunities clauses. States could never violate individual rights. States always had responsibilities. Federal government, until the 14th Amendment, never really gave an enforcement mechanism to enforce that against the states. So, first, I just want to note, before we start out, there's two impediments I'm hearing. One is, like, somehow, like, oh, you got to, like, have their rights and the due process. Like, there's nothing the the police could do. And then the feds can't do anything because it's a state issue. Each thing is wrong. Okay? Each thing is wrong. We now have 80 days, 83 days or so worth of this. So there's no speculation, oh, maybe they'll turn violent and blow up a city. This is what they do. So you need not sit and wait. Well, they have the right to belligerently start walking. I have to wait until it's already out of control and we don't have the resources to deal with it. We've seen that enough already. I said this time and again. Cantwell v. Connecticut, 1940, the Supreme Court said very clearly, when clear and present danger of riot, disorder, interference with traffic upon the public streets or other immediate threat to public safety, peace, or order appears, the power of the state to prevent or punish is obvious. Right? It's obvious what's a peaceful protest and what's an insurrection. So straight up at a state level, the notion that you can't do this is absurd. Folks, let me give to you a minute clip, let me play for you, of Richard Daly during the 1968 riots, Democrat mayor of Chicago. Take a listen. That an order be issued immediately under his signature to shoot to kill any arsonist or anyone with a Molotov cocktail in their hand in Chicago to fire a building because they're potential murderers and to issue a police order to shoot, to maim, or cripple anyone looting any stores in our city. And above all, the crime of arson is to me the most hideous and worst crime of any and should be dealt with in this fashion. I was disappointed to know that every policeman out on the beat was supposed to use his own decision. And this decision evidently was his. In my opinion, he should have had instructions to shoot arsonists and to shoot looters. Folks, that's what a return to normalcy looks like. That's what Democrats used to think. That's what the country used to look like when we believed in right and wrong, in law and order. We understood you can't just... Oh, yeah, they're just burning buildings. They're just beating a few people out of their cars. That cannot go on for a minute. Shoot to kill. You see, you, you hear the only thing he was annoyed about was that there wasn't a categorical order to shoot to kill. It was an, on an individual level. Now, it's the opposite. It's a categorical order not to. If an individual would, would do that, he'd get charged with first-degree murder. Where is that fortitude of a Democrat of yesteryear in a single Republican, including the president. That is the speech he needs to give. Trump is perceived by the public and by the media as believing in that anyway. So whatever small percentage of elites that actually believe in that garbage, they're going to be against him anyway. You may as well embrace it, be resolute about it, be articulate about it, and be decisive and do it. Quell the rebellion. 
If, if mayors and governors won't do it, he has the authority. So there's this myth that continues to be pushed around that somehow the, the governor or the mayor has to authorize it. They're forgetting their history. There was an update to the statute. So it started out with the Militia Act of 1792, turned into the Insurrection Act of 1807, and it gave the president permission to send them the military only upon the request of the state legislature or the governor if the legislature cannot be convened. But during the post-Civil War era, when states in the South obviously were joining in on it, the governments were turning a blind eye to KKK violence against black people, Congress saw a need to give the president unilateral authority. That power is codified into statute to this very day. It's been updated actually in 2006 for terrorism and for natural disasters after Katrina that he could send in the military without permission of a state. His Insurrection Act of 1871, kind of called the KKK Act, it reflected the spirit of the 14th Amendment, which was if states are either incapable of protecting people or purposely not, the president has a responsibility to get involved. President Grant, who is obviously very familiar with the situation there, pushed for the legislation. He signed it. The Washington Post recently wrote about it, actually, and they, and they and this is just a quote from their article. President Grant's target was the violent KKK, which was, according to Coakley's book, inciting its members to commit crimes, including murder against Republicans and blacks, and rarely facing prosecution. Doesn't that sound familiar? Today, we have roving bands of people who want to overthrow the government, randomly attack either Trump supporters or whites, burn private and public property. And the blue cities and states are openly greenlighting them to destroy this property for 83 days, refusing to prosecute them, allowing them to take over roads and threaten and attack motorists, rarely face prosecution, while those who defend themselves are charged with murder. Folks, you could look it up. It's codified into law 10 USC 253, and then you could look at sections 331 to 334, and they're very clear. It specifically charges him to do to send in the military when, quote, the constituted authorities of that state are unable, fail, or refuse to protect that right, privilege, or immunity, or to give that protection or opposes or obstructs the execution of the laws of the United States or impedes the course of justice under those laws. Section 332 the, talks about the threshold for unilaterally calling out the military, even against the wishes of the state, is when, quote, unlawful obstructions, combinations, or assemblages or rebellion against the authority of the United States make it impracticable to enforce the laws of the United States in any state by the ordinary course of judicial proceedings he may call into federal service, such as the militia of any state. And again, I, I say this all the time until recently, when we were normal, when we were a country governed by normalcy and common sense, our statutes were very common sense. It wasn't a suicide pact. It was understood that we have the normal order of things, 
but you can't have roving mobs beat people and the state is just sitting by and doing nothing. You have an obligation to step in. And especially when the only recourse is self-defense and then they prosecute those people, you have an obligation to step in. That is just simply not an option. Well, uh, you have to have the Miranda rights, which in itself is made up by the Supreme Court. It's not in the Constitution, but that's, that's another story. Ed Meese always said that's the number one case that needs to be overturned back when we actually had Republicans that believed in the Constitution, law and order. And didn't have this sense of diffidence, of mushiness, about their own morality. The same way the left has no guilt or gumption about what they promote. Somehow our side's like, well, we need law and order, the, the rights have to stop, but yeah, I don't know what we can do, you know, I can't send the military. No. And it gives the president even more. It's not just the military. The president is vested with the power to, quote, take such measures as he considers necessary to suppress in a state any insurrection, domestic violence, unlawful combination, or conspiracy. And the scenarios that, that are mentioned here. That's what it is. It's not a matter of, like, it's nothing mechanical to do this, do that. Whatever it takes, the rebellion has got to be put down. BLM needs to be put down. You can't have that. Any night that goes with public and private property uncontrollably, like you could have a scenario where one individual is able to destroy or beat or even murder before law enforcement could get involved. But the hallmark deciphering and distinguishing a first world country with ordered liberty from a, a banana republic from Afghanistan is that it stops there. You know, it doesn't spread beyond that. It's dealt with and deterred immediately. And this is what's been lacking. Oh, like, let, let's find some cute thing. I'm able to get involved in Portland because there's a federal building there. So we'll protect the building and be crouched in a fetal position behind the... No! <laughs> You're vested with a responsibility to hunt down the rebellion. Go on the streets, grab them, and that's it. Now, of course, we have a trial, and that's where DOJ gets involved. There's anti-terrorism laws... Under 18 U.S.C. 2383, which Andy McCarthy always talks about how it applies to these people, irrespective of whether you designate Antifa or BLM as terrorist groups, the people the people you're engaging with, they don't have to be affiliated. They're engaging in terrorism. There's cross-state racketeering laws for at least the ones that cross state lines at 28 U.S.C. 1952. There's a lot of tools. The, the tools are there. We don't need new legislation. There are certain legislative ideas I have to go after criminals in general, but in terms of putting down an insurrection, the power is there. And they have to go after these local DAs with the Jim Crow laws. The Washington Post observes regarding the implementation of the 1871 law, quote, after learning that the KKK was still thriving in several South Carolina counties, Grant organized more than a thousand soldiers to round up several hundred Klansmen. Scores of suspects were arrested, many of them interrogated for several weeks without an indictment. By January 1st, 1872, the army had detained more than 600 men, and most of them were tried and convicted in federal court. That is what we need to see. No more 
no less. BLM, Antifa, that is the KKK of the time. They're creating even more widespread destruction, meaning their purview is even broader. Their purview of destruction is even broader. As Reagan said, if not us, who? If not now, when? Stop talking as if somehow Biden is the incumbent and Trump is the challenger, as if this is still 2016 and we're going to make America great again. You are currently president and America is not only not great, it's evil and deboshed. Make it normal again. A return to normalcy. Demonstrate that now. A, that is your way of winning the election with the silent majority. And B, if you're not going to do it now, what's going to change then? Again, I mean, folks, let's be very clear. Based on the lack of deterrent, I mean, picture yourself being one of those people that that Oregon sheriff was talking about. And there's scores of them. Like, imagine you and I, like, we're terrified to walk without a mask in a store that we're going to get beaten up by a cop or something. These guys are able to beat people, steal, loot, burn, night after night. And it's like, you know, oh my gosh, there's no way I can get away with this. And like, wow, man, I got away with it. There's no deterrent. And they keep coming back. They're going to do this. Let's say Trump wins. Let's say Trump wins re-election. What do you think is going to happen that night in America? And every subsequent day thereafter, they're going to take this insurrection to the next level. The Democrat mayors and governors, they're going to encourage it and foment it even more. That's going to be their response. They're not going to just say, oh, whoops, all, I guess we're kind of too radical. We need to change our tune and, you know, recruit better candidates and go through the process and turn on our turning signal and drive the speed limit. No, I mean, they're going to go in and come in with a wrecking ball. What are you going to do then? Oh, well, Daniel, we, we need to um, uh, federalize um, uh, let's see, uh, some convoluted way of having more investigators. Uh, no, you're going to have to send in the military, grab the people, quell the rebellion. When it's on the streets, you have to shoot to kill, as Mayor Daley had even local police do. And, you know, once they're apprehended, obviously you don't shoot them. Then they got to be put up, put on trial in federal court. It's that simple. Either that or you're a fraud. When Trump promised law and order, we never envisioned. And he was talking about the breakdown of order, on, you know, under Obama. It wasn't a fraction of this. Now is your moment. Now is your time. A return to normalcy. So that's the story with crime, rebellion, insurrection. Then we go to the virus where there's no greater breakdown of normalcy than that. Where we now have to walk around undignified with a face burqa in perpetuity. No hearings. No standards of of. Efficacy of evidentiary standards of efficacy. The more the stuff doesn't work, the more they're able to mandate it without hearings, without votes. Executive fiat. That weak government that seems so flaccid and helpless when it comes to dealing with looters, arsonists, rioters. 
somehow when it comes to you and me, boy, do they seem strong. Boy, do they seem to reflect an unstoppable juggernaut. Deborah Burks. Yesterday, while looking like a buffoon with this pink mask, speaking in her muffled voice while wearing it, said that Minnesotans need to wear masks in their homes. She gave a press conference in St. Paul. Why is this person still there? How is this person speaking on behalf of Trump? Joe Biden's America. Well, Joe Biden already said he's going to keep on the team. I mean, answer me. Why is she still there? I'll take a return to normalcy. I'll take a return to normalcy. Any day of the week. Folks, you want to talk about mask wearing. Do you know that Hawaii now has more hospitalizations per capita than Arizona? Their cases per day have increased about 12-fold. Their hospitalizations per capita have increased about 10-fold since mid-July. Do you know they have had an indoor mask mandate since April, an outdoor mask mandate since early July? And it grew exponentially. See, if it's just a little bit, you could say maybe it helps a little bit. But it has that same curve. They just get it later because it's you know, a very, very far to the south. That's the thing. Now, yet, to be fair, there are a few deaths. But that's because that has nothing to do with the mask. The mask is about stopping the spread. Once it spreads, it spreads. If you're not dying, there's nothing to do with the mask or lockdown because you didn't lock it down. It spread. That clearly is due to the natural phenomenon of cross-immunity of the Pacific Rim regions. But the point is, in Hawaii, they did everything that Burke said would work, and it isn't. It spreads when it spreads, where it spreads, to whom it spreads, based on what it naturally does, regardless of what you do. How many more examples do we need to see of this? They are arresting people there for not wearing masks. The few who don't, almost all of them do. The compliance is through the roof. The mayor of Aoi, Mayor Kirk Caldwell, when he issued the outdoor order July 3rd, even while you're jogging, you have to wear a mask. Quote, face coverings are one of the easiest ways to prevent the spread of COVID-19. And these people are never held accountable. No benchmarks, no time limits, nothing. And they could turn around and say the same stuff with a, with, with a straight face. And again, if anything, the fact that in Hawaii they're not dying is proof to our point that you're doing this all for nothing, even if it would work. If it would be effective, it's not. They have 22.6% unemployment, the second highest in the nation. You cannot imagine how many deaths due to despair, suicide, isolation, drug abuse. We're going to attempt to quantify that a little better in the coming days. Undoubtedly, see, at least if it's a place with a lot of death, you could say, okay, maybe it's worth it, although it doesn't work. Here, that's the point. There are a few deaths in Hawaii. There clearly are exponentially more deaths from the response to the virus than the virus itself. And you know what's funny? I don't know if I mentioned this. This came out when I was on vacation. You know what's funny? When push comes to shove, 
when money is when when lives are on the line, CDC actually admits it. See, on the one hand, they're telling us that masks have to be worn in order to control us. You better not not go out and and, and not wear a mask. But on the other hand, okay, so let's say I do wear a mask. It helps, right? I mean, you you believe it does. So therefore, I could avoid quarantine if I come to contact with someone with the virus. Nope. CDC recommends if you came into contact with a person who's suspected of having the virus or tested positive for at least 15 minutes indoors. I don't know if they say indoors, but that that's what it is. If it's gonna if someone has it and you are there with him for 15 to 30 minutes indoors, not outdoors, but indoors, it will spread. And they say you have to quarantine, quote, irrespective of whether the person with COVID-19 or the contact was wearing a mask or whether the contact was wearing respiratory personal protective equipment. Isn't that funny? See, garbage in, garbage out. If it works enough for the mandate, it works enough to save you from the tyranny. Nope, you get the tyranny from both ends. Because the truth be told, it doesn't work. See, CDC's own director said a couple weeks earlier, Robert Redfield, if we could get everyone to wear a mask right now, I think in four, six, eight weeks, we could bring this epidemic under control. Well, four, six, eight weeks. Um, Hawaii has had the mandate for God knows how long. 17, 18 weeks. Whoops. Whoopsie daisies. What a complete joke. Because indeed, CDC's original position was right. That 10 randomized clinical trials have shown that masks do not stop, do not have any significant reduction in influenza transmission. If anything, these viruses are, coronavirus is a drier, more atomized cough than wet droplings so if anything they would be smaller certainly not bigger and there's been no studies that have shown the opposite remember the study from denmark that was imminently going to come out about six weeks ago yeah it didn't come out because i'm sure the result was not something that could be reported but then again we don't need lab trials clinical trials we have the experience of the universe. See, it's stupid to study something because a study is never going to... What are we trying to study? Whether a universal mandate of civilian um, wearing of masks is going to help. Well, well, maybe if you did it properly... Yeah, but in reality, that's not how it works out. That's the point. People don't wear it like a surgeon would wear it. To the extent it even works for them, which there's plenty of studies, interestingly enough, it doesn't stop infection in patients. That's a whole another story. I have no dog in that fight, but but the only major study that has ever been done that has ever tried to study whether it truly stops infections in, in surgery patients has shown the, the group, there was a control group and a group with masks, the one with masks actually resulted in more infections. I'm not saying there's causation there. I'm just saying it certainly doesn't prove the opposite. And we could talk about that study at a different time, but this is where we are. How much longer are we going to take this? Going to take the lies? 
When's our return to normalcy? When are we going to get our rights back? You know, in Melbourne, Australia, there's this video of a pregnant woman being arrested in her own home in front of her children, and all of her computers and devices are seized. Now, you might say, well, Daniel, that's basically happening in America. And you're right. We're a step... Really, I mean, if you violate their illegal rules, you are being arrested in some places in America. Here, they took it a step further. They arrested her. It wasn't that she was caught not wearing a mask. They arrested her for Facebook posts opposing lockdown. Folks, this is... it's. There is no like hyperbole exaggeration. Normally, like when we say, "Oh, you know, America is becoming like China," or like you know, we're becoming fascist, you know, it's kind of a little bit of an exaggeration. I mean, dude, this is the full China. I mean, there is no difference. This is Australia. If you think this cannot and will not happen in America within the coming weeks and months, if we don't stand up now and put an end to this and demand better from this administration. Demand better from the governors. They're starting with the Republican ones. Start protesting. Start disobeying this crap. Believe me, this is coming to a town near you. So there's a lot of other news I didn't get to. But we're going to talk about the effects of the lockdown. And again, you know, we talk about the cancer patients, the misdiagnosis, the missed heart disease strokes and that that's that's terrible it's 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 tens of thousands of people have died because of the lockdown but i think what is even more what is so much more subtle but but more ubiquitous and and more damaging long term is the mental health crisis the societal crisis what it does to the fabric of society locking people down making them wear masks And the accompanying panic and fear that it sows, that everyone's going to die and living in the twilight zone. Terribly sad story, Fox News, U.S. divorce rates skyrocket amid COVID-19. The number of people looking for a divorce was 34%, 34% higher from March through June compared to 2019, according to new data collected by Legal Templates, a company that provides legal documents combination of stress, unemployment, financial strain, death of loved ones, illness, homeschooling children, mental illness, and more has put a significant strain on relationships. The data showed that 31% of the couples admitted lockdown has caused irreparable damage to their relationships. Folks, I mean, that is something that you cannot... I, I mean, the relationship between a man and his wife is... There is nothing greater than that. That is the fabric of society that is the antecedent to all civilization. I mean, that that is a greater casualty than any, you know, heart disease or cancer, certainly coronavirus. And I see it. I see it firsthand. You know, with the kids always home, we had to switch to homeschooling. And, and look, I'm a big fan of homeschooling, but your life has to be set up for that in the long run and something you have to plan for. You can't be thrust into it because just scheduling-wise and everything is chaotic. It's like kind of our first half day, and it's like you know taking each one to where they need to go, the pod, the tutor, part of it we're doing at home. you know. And my wife has really been a saint with that because obviously with me working, it all falls upon her. 
but it really gets very stressful. And and it's, you know, you you have to really double your efforts to work on your patients, your interpersonal relationships, seeing the beauty in your spouse. Um, I mean, this is terrible, but it's 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 a no-brainer. It's obvious. It's obvious when you unnaturally thrust people in their homes together for a long period of time, together with the kids, with all the just craziness going on, this is what you're going to do. All we ask is for normalcy. I don't need greatness. Mr. President, I'll take a return to normalcy. Mr. President, it's time to put down the rebellion. It's time to stop with this criminal justice deform and the jailbreak. It's time to stop with the coronavirus fascism. It's time to speak with one voice, use your bully pulpit, and make America normal again today, now in your first term. And you know what? If you do so, then that's the way you'll get your second term. God bless y'all. May God infuse this president with the wisdom and fortitude to follow common sense, sanity, and normalcy. May God evacuate us from the situation. May God once again bless this once great country. Perhaps we'll be great again, but all we ask for is normalcy. Normalcy.